So we have a project. We have a project. We call it OM Champion Project. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the weekly episode of the Marseille View. Uh, my name is Luca and we're going to be debriefing so many topics today. But the main reason why we're debriefing this week is going to be to talk about Marseille-Amiens, um, which as you probably know ended 2-2 at the Velodrome in front of um, around 45 to 50,000 spectators. But apart from that, we're also going to talk about Um, some of our, our rivals' results, with Lille and Ren both winning uh, in their uh, respective fixtures. Uh, we've got uh, some of the breaking news today, where um, it's been announced that for the next month, so about the next four games, uh, Marseille are going to play and all the other league and teams are going to play um, uh, behind closed doors. Talk a little bit about the financial fair play. Uh, news that came out from the UEFA um, earlier this week, uh, saying that Marseille could potentially be in danger. And then we're going to finish off um, talking about uh, Torban's return and then ADB's red card and and essentially the implications that could have um, to our ability to get some results next week. So to help me do all of this today, um, I'm going to welcome our one and only guest um, tonight. Um, this is a bit of a special one. Uh, Raf was supposed to be on this podcast, but... Um, shamelessly uh, pulled out in the last second because of work so we've got none uh, we've got probably almost regular spe uh, speaker here and that's Ben how are you doing Ben? Good thank you yes boots are rough boots are rough yeah absolutely boots are rough it happens to all of this yeah it's, it's embarrassing really but hey hello everyone yeah and um, how did you Had you, well, you have to kind of think back to, to Friday night, essentially, because this is nearly nearly four days uh, uh, past this. How did you How did you wake up on Saturday morning? Um, well, pretty hungover for a start, but um, I, I think just just frustrated, really, the sense of a bit of disbelief that it looked didn't look great for us, then it looked good for us, then it looked like we were going to put the game to bed, and we we just shut ourselves. Really, we can see the draw when. We should have put the games to bed long before then. Yeah, it's it, it was just yeah for me as well. Obviously, obviously because because there's only two of us today, I'll, I'll probably take a bit more of a dominating role that, that, that I'm used to. But I'll give my opinions whether you like it or not. Um, <laughs> Please do, because it will be quite a monologue if you don't. <laughs> yeah, um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, we watched it. We watched the game at, at the bar together, um, along with like 20-ish Marseille fans. So. Ben, you probably already know what what I was going through uh, during the game, but it's the, kind of the same feeling of of of, of just wasted opportunity and, and and disbelief because it, I was saying over and over throughout the whole game, just Amiens were are just a shocking side. They're, they're offering nothing going forward, and seeing them bridge that two goal gap away from home at the Velodrome, like. In, in what in eight minutes it's, it's it was unbelievable to be honest um, it's just poor it's just poor um, again well I suppose we, we go straight to the analysis of the game but the, the first half was just insipid again we score out of nowhere their goalkeeper had a, a shocking howler he should have set the save Sonsor shot but I think literally that and one other chance were only two two attempts on target in the first half to compare to them I think they had none I think they had a cross that, that went just in front of the face of goal and nobody got on the end of it, but that was it. And I mean, yeah, like it was, the, the start went through and until Sanson's goal, which was, like you said, pretty lucky, it, we, there was no shots on target. This was the only shot on target of the first half. And I mean, I get tired of saying it for the whole podcast, you know, like this, this has been a long time coming and, and we've only got ourselves to blame, but like you can't, 
shown nothing or little to nothing in this first half in front of so many fans when you've got a crucial game that you know you're playing a team that's playing for relegation you need to put these games away quickly and make them easy for yourself and it's just not what we did in the first half was it? No, well, I think we've seen all of us, and we've said it on here loads of times, that since the turn of 2020, our home form is, we've, we've scraped wins like 1-0 against Toulouse in a game where, yet again, we created very little, didn't really put them under pressure, despite them being the worst team in Europe's five leagues. We only scored one goal. Um, it's just it's, it's the story of the turn of the decade where we finished 2019 so strongly at home because we had a sort of intensity and rhythm in midfield with Sanson and Rongier where we were, and Camara where we were really pressing teams and we were pressing them high to get the ball back early and, and get the ball to Benedetto or Payet to score. We're not doing that anymore. But worse than that, teams have, have, have just sussed us out. They know exactly what we're going to do and they know that they just have to leave us the ball because we're not going to threaten them. Yeah, and that's, and- very, that's very, very worrying. And what, what did you think about, about so like, we've, we've mentioned how, how disappointing the first half was, but coming into the game, obviously, you had um, a Tovan's potential return to, to, to the, not the starting lineup, but at some point as a substitute, just before kickoff, we, we had Chad Tassar who, who pulled out because he injured his, uh, he had a, I don't know why he said, like a little bit of an alert on, on, his, on his hamstring or something, so he pulled out of the game. Which obviously meant that Kamara dropped back, leaving Strutman as a, a centre defensive mid, and that kind of. Do you think that he kind of threw off the tactics? Because against Nîmes we did play as a four-two-three-one rather than the traditional four-three-three, and that worked. Did, did you think that those kind of very late injuries and, and, and news kind of disrupted the system in a way? Um. You, well, you'd be inclined to say so, but I don't think it was. I think, well, having rewatched the highlights today so to refresh my memory, I think Streetman had a decent game. He didn't have a bad game. Um, he he played his role in front of the back four. He actually got a few, got, got the ball back quite a few times in the first half and early in the second half. Um, and that enabled Sanson to play in, in the role we've seen him in the last few weeks, which is a bit closer to Benedetto. And, you know, Sanson's game speaks for itself. He got a goal and an assist. So... It didn't. I don't think it hindered us man for man and like for like positionally. I just think that the team just is guilty of dropping back too deep and, and being reckless and, and very nervous after we went two goals up. And not only did we miss the chances, but we'll, we'll go into detail about the sort of well, we're talking about the film of the match. But towards the end of the game, I don't know why we're trying to build an attack when. 99% of teams would just take it to the corner and, and pass it around and, and let the clock go down. Well, that, that's that's what I thought they were doing in, well, in, on the last bit. I thought Gemma was going for the for the corner flag. Yeah, you could argue that there is a bit of a, a barge, really. Cause it, you know, no, it's, a bit it's of a not a foul, though. That's not well, a foul. Look, people have argued that, so... <laughs> You, you can you can analyse the build up all you want, but the main the main takeaway point is we were we were careless in possession after going two goals up, especially after they equalised. Sorry, they got a goal back for a penalty. We, we just for some reason we sat back, even though we had we had chances again. I mean, I think Tovan after coming on had had a couple of chances, and yes, he's you know if you get a Tovan that's at the top of his form, he he probably puts both of those goals away because he did have pretty decent open shots on goal, but he's rusty. But it's. It's just it's just symptomatic of we we struggle to create the chances. When we do create the chances, we don't put them in the back of the net, and then we get punished. And it happened against well, it, it almost happened quite a few times at home since the turn of, of 2020, where we've come away with lucky one nil wins, or we've always found a goal, and then we got punished against not because we sat back too much. And and the same after taking what we thought was a decisive two goal lead, we sat back again. Yeah. It- I think, in contrast to what you're saying, that the that was my original the reason for my question about would you think that the the injury to Tsar kind of hindered our, our ability and our tactics in, in the first half is because I, I thought I personally thought they did watching the game, and obviously I haven't watched the replay. I just watched the game live uh, as it was happening. I did feel that in the first half, and then even carrying on to the second half. Going from the back, we, we had no. It, it's it's Amiens at home. You expect your your centre backs to be able to to contribute more to the build up than just being centre backs and just giving the defensive shift. 
I felt that even though Kamara was a centre-back, he wasn't as comfortable as he'd been in the midfield. And I did feel the absence of, of Tretasar because there was no creativity, no spark coming from our back line to bridge and give uh, the ball to the midfielders. Yeah, and he does usually make... play, he can sometimes play that long ball that is decisive, can't he? So yeah, it's true. You it's think true. Kamara, Kamara can do that, but I didn't, I didn't see that. And, and that, that caused Amiens 4-2 to just be completely like unthreatened by, by, by our build-up plays because there was so so little risk-taking from the back line that you, you know what why do they have to come out and, and press Kamara and, and Gonzalez yeah and, and well again and this is this is a recurring theme but it's something to, to really think about you know the last few weeks certainly probably for the last month what 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 we, we had built for three months which is Defensive solidity. I think you know we had the run when we we, we were over ecstatic. That we gone. Of, yeah, we were one of the teams that when we were the only team in the league in Europe to not concede the goal for almost two months, and then since then we've considered eight or nine. Seven, yeah, seven in three games. Seven, like yeah, against against shit teams. Let's face it. You know, if 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 we had played PSG, Lille, and, and Lyon in that period, okay, even Lyon is a bit of a stretch. But we've played Nantes, Nîmes, and, and fucking. Amiens, who's the 19th team in Liga, so it's uh, it's just very frustrating to see that we we panic and we get caught out by by just it looks like naivety and, and nervosity in the back because we're very nervous and we, we any time that they run at us we seem to panic. Yeah, and obviously going into the locker room at halftime, Marseille was winning, but everyone had drawn the same conclusions that it, it was another dire performance from the team. However, coming out of the changing rooms for the second half, for a good half an hour, I felt we were great. I mean, apart from scoring the two goals, we had multiple chances to, to put the third and fourth goal. I personally thought, I mean, like everyone in the bar, that Payet was very unlucky to not score, to not score his second goal of the game. Did, did you feel? Did you ever feel threatened, like during the second half, that Amiens could even come back? Well, no. Well, object, sub, objectively, no. Subjectively, you, it, the worry does creep in when you think back to shit. We've missed these chances now. All it's going to take is one goal, and they're going to feel like they can they could get something from the velodrome. And we've seen teams do it year and year, year after year. It, it, it just it just frustrates you because you know that, especially because we're not really on form at the minute, and we're, we're struggling to create those chances. When you do get those chances, you have to bury them. And to be fair, we've been pretty good at that in, in away games where we get very few chances. But against Nîmes, for example, we got four chances to score three goals. And Friday, we had like six or seven chances, including five of them in, in the first half and now the second half, as you said. And we, we, we scored one and it was a lucky deflected shot. And then you just you just look at the team and you, you sort of wonder, God... This is this is going to take its toll, and, and people are going to run out of steam. And all it's going to take is a, is one counter attack, and, and we could be we could be shitting ourselves here, which happened. Oh yeah, well, I think coming into the second half for me, it, it was I was actually really impressed. I mean, aside from Payet just firing up the squad with one of his his goal, he also had that insane chance that where he dribbled four players and and, and was straight on goal. Still think he could have cut it back. Yeah, not, I mean, not, some people have said that he could have cut it back because Benedetto was hey. wide open and you feel like he, he was in his line of sight. But uh, come on. No, yeah. I'm not going to blame him for going for it, but you sort of look, those are the type of chances you look back on and go, shit, that was three on one, the goalkeeper was beaten, there was one defender in the middle of the goal, there were two, Benedetto and Sanson, both on the sort of edge of the penalty area, penalty spot that had, that had a clear, unmarked, chance to actually take a touch from the pass and, and square it into the net so it's, it's it's all of those chances added together you go oh, for Christ's sake just that would have been the difference yeah. and, and, and unfortunately it wasn't but I mean in that, in that half an hour span we were clearly the superior team we had I mean Payet was far fired one of the free kicks that was saved by, by Gertner and it it, it was all going great, you know. Like it was, we, we managed to score the second goal. And usually in those games against teams that are relegated, once you score that second goal, it's kind of game over, and you go into game management, which we all felt was the, in a way, the right thing because it's 
it seemed so simple because Amir was so um, like didn't seem to have any any like abilities to score at all at the velodrome, and you felt that AVB like felt that too because why why else would you put Tova on? Um, and so he came on at the 80, 81st minute when it was still 2-0 for Marseille. What what did you make of Tovan's performance? Because I thought that even though he just came back, he his reflexes and his one-on-one dribbles were actually on point. It's just his finishing that was still rusty. Yeah, I mean, his, look, we all know his technical ability. I mean, there, there was, a, I think he was it against Dijon or Lille last season. The, there was a similar pass where you ju- you think it's just too long for him, it's just too far, and he manages to take a wonderful touch with his right foot. Oh, he did it again, yeah. It yeah, he knocks it, knocks it up into the air, and he actually beat the defender as well with his sombrero, probably involuntarily, but still, brilliant technical reflex. And then, yeah, he he looks he looks sharp, to be fair. He looked pretty sharp with, with every every single touch of the ball. But yeah, his finishing was rusty. But look, it can, it can only be a blessing because... That is notoriously the position where we have struggled the most on the attacking front this season. We've tried how many players? Radonic, Germain, uh, Lopez, Saar. And Saar's probably been... You hate to say it, but he's probably been probably the the, the okay-ish performer in that position because he he does dribble players and he does try and get round players and he's always on the attack. Germain is pretty useless because he just wanders around like a lost soul. And Lopez clearly... I'm not going to dump on him but he's, he, you can tell it's not his position because he never makes a run on the wing he doesn't have pace so it's it's, it's great to see Thomas come back and hopefully he can build up a bit of form and momentum and, and really help us out because we're going to need all hands on deck now especially with the results of the other teams around us at the weekend yeah and he's he, he, even though we do have um, Payet that is, seems to be nursing some kind of injury maybe it's lack of fitness it's, it's brilliant to see Tottenham back and he doesn't seem bothered he doesn't seem like he's, he's load managing because he's scared of, 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 of kind of worsening his ankle or, or getting injured again it's, it's, it's going to be like a transfer essentially isn't it he's, he's going to be a fantastic addition to the team and if he plays like not, not finishing but if he plays like he has on Saturday I don't think there's going to be any growing pains um, putting him back into the team at all no, you have to. Well, I think we're going to be forced to because, quite frankly, we're, we're getting into a position where we're going to become a bit desperate. I don't know if he'll start away to Montpellier because I think AVB will, you know, prioritise as being a bit more solid and, and being consistent and having that consistent lineup. Of so Germain. you think he's going to put Jamin back? I think he will. Yeah, I think after, after Jamin's performance. Well, look, this is, this is you're usually critical of AVB. I thought you'd agree here. I think AVB is just going to be overcautious and set up to not concede before he thinks about us grabbing a goal. And then put, put Tovan on for longer than 10 minutes, probably 25 to 30 minutes this time. And if the result is still nil-nil, then we take the game to them and try. And that's what we tend to do away from home. I just think he's going to be overcautious play Germain because he's going to rely on Germain and Sarr's relationship or maybe he, he does a Sakai and Sarr which would be better in my opinion it's still not great but I mean uh, again he's going to Sakai's gonna be, performance coming onto the pitch at the end of the game yeah but it's we, we know how AVB reasons and I think loads of us would agree that I'd rather see Ake start than Germain give the kid a chance but absolutely I, I can't. A, AVB is that is that type of coach isn't he he doesn't like to take too many risks or maybe Vavivi's not going to have much of a <laughs> decision in the substitutions happening in Montpellier since he's got well, the red we'll card. Well, well, we'll see. And, well, we say that and we'll, we'll come on to this next next topic later, I guess. But look, now that the game's played behind closed doors, he can pretty much stand at the front of the stand and <laughs> yeah, shout orders, can't he? So it's not going to change much. I, mean, I didn't think about that, actually, because... Yeah, there's going to be nobody apart from journalists and potentially 1,000 supporters. It depends on if they're going to play completely closed doors or if they're going to go to the quota of letting it or selling 1,000 tickets. But regardless, AVB is pretty much going to be able to give his his instructions pretty clearly. Do you want to do you want to do a quick line by line and then we move on to, to one of the other topics? Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, sure. I can just. Can just is there much do. to say? But yeah, go for it. <laughs> I mean, most notably, I, I've, I'd like to talk about a little bit about Mandanda and Benedetto. Um, 
because for me, Mandanda, he wasn't he wasn't at fault for any of the goals. I mean, Amiens' first goal was a penalty, uh, which was obviously avoidable by Amavi. But again, people arguing whether it's a foul or not. And the second goal, I mean, it's just this cross in. But what this shows, and what what the past three games have shown, where we've scored seven goals, is that we're not getting the Mandanda that's pulling us out of, of awful situation. You know, so many times this season we've had against Lille, against Monaco, where if he doesn't make this miraculous save, we're down 1-0 or we're down 2-0. Yeah, but you can't, you can't forget that the week before away to Nîmes, he keeps us at 2-1 up just after half-time with a series of, of fucking amazing saves. You can't you can't blame him on that, but you can't say he's not been decisive. So just a week before... Away to Neem, he was incredible. Again, he was yeah. he was probably one of the man of the match with Benedetto. So I'm I'm not <laughs> blaming him at all. I'm just I'm just making an observation that it yeah, it but it's the classic thing. We've classic used all of the is... jokers. We've we've used all of those kind of yeah. cards, these bailout cards, and Mandanda seems to, to 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 revert back to a very good goalkeeper, but not one that has been making the miracles that, that has happened earlier this season. And that might be something we need to look at when we look back at the performances we've had and saying, you know, like, we're going to continue the run that we've been on all season. Because it's, it, for me anyway, it seems that Mandanda isn't sustaining the kind of performances that, that he's been pulling off of his bag all season long. I think it's very difficult. Uh, th- these games at the Velodrome that go with these scenarios are very difficult to analyse for, for Mandanda because he f- those were probably the only two shots he faced all night. So it's very difficult to, to base an analysis of his performance where the week before, in contrast, away from home, he's he's extremely decisive for us because he, he allows us to, wait, to ride that wave of pressure from the opposition team and then go back on the break and, and finish the game off. At home, when he's probably not seeing much of the ball because Amiens created absolutely nothing up to their first... Well, I think they had one shot before their penalty in the whole game. So it's it's difficult to, to judge his performance on that. I'd rather criticise the defence because they, you know they, they they had probably two or three situations to defend the whole game and they fucked up all two out of three. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean the second goal as well. I'm, I'm not saying Mandanda was a fault at all. The, no, the second goal was a complete team. Just just they just everyone just gave up from from Jamas blunder up top that again it will be one of those things that just like you know that the freeze frame um that you see of German missing the shot against Atletico of German lying down on his back not getting up to, to, to press again that's going to be one of the things again that I'm just going to remember from him forever when, when he leaves the club that will be one of the highlights of his of his things where you know him lying down face um, um back on his back and just letting Shedru, who's the 36-year-old defender on whom you had three yards ahead of steam and then you still managed to get bullied off the ball like a six-year-old. It's... Look at this, Look at the difference in size. Look, he gets bullied off. He should have taken the touch and hold the ball up. He shouldn't have been trying to run past Shedru. But that's, that, that, you can't... Yes, Jamal gets knocked off the ball, but there's, there's 10... You know, he's got 10 of his mates behind him. All 10 of them... Just if you if you look at, I mean, I remember rewatching the goal earlier. When you look at the position of each player, the lines are completely fucking broken. Oh, it's a mess. It's a no mess. one's no one's in the position they should be in. It's it's just comedy. And he's probably stood back up after that and watched the, the team crumble and gone, fuck yeah, maybe I shouldn't have fallen over so easily. But Jesus, guys, at the back, right? You've had nothing to do all day. You should be you should be keeping that ball out of the box. And yeah, so, they've all crumbled. They did, they did all crumble at the back. And it's yeah, it's just it's just comedy of errors. I mean, the back, the back four. You can tell that. I think Kamara's is safe to say now. And we we said it the first few games he played there. Anyway, he is a defensive midfielder because he's not got the pace or awareness, positional awareness to be one of the last men at the back. He he he's never marking the player. He's too far away from his direct sort of player that he should be marking he just doesn't have that awareness and that that, that showed on Friday so it destabilises the team not when he's not in midfield but when he's at the back yeah and the problem is I mean we're going to move on to Medaneto not, we're not going to do a whole topic on Kamara but the problem is that he is going to play again against Montpellier because um, Alvaro is going to be suspended Chaleta Carr might not be back either 
So you might pairing against, with Kamara against against Delow and, and, and Laborde, and that's, that's a little bit scary, to be honest. Well, you say that, and, but Montpellier got smashed 5-0 at Rennes yesterday, so... Yeah, but it's never the same thing, is it? Montpellier it's always... Not. But it's, yeah, you, you sort of do look at it and go, we're not we, we shouldn't be too scared of it. We're not going to be facing the best Montpellier that we've seen in, in, in decades, but we know how these games go. <laughs> They're never as bad as they usually are against Marseille. Well, we've only won there once in the last five seasons, yeah, and that exactly. was in 20, 2015, 2016. So we haven't won there. We, we lost there 3-0 last year. We got absolutely battered because they play five at the back. Mm. And we're just incapable of breaking down that back three. Yeah. Um, and the second player that I want to talk about, because we spent so long talking about him last week when he obviously had a hat-trick against Nîmes, we were you know, discussing, you know, what, what, why has he changed? Why has AVB kind of schemed to put him in the right positions? On Friday, he's just re- against the same kind of opponent that is not particularly great at defending. He's just reverted back to his, to his old ways. It's difficult. So he took a knock to the head and he, he cut his ear open. I've not seen any photos of him since, by the way. I mean, apart from him looking like he was going to the fucking swimming Olympics. <laughs> that was a bit embarrassing. But saving grace, saving grace was at least it was the club colours. They didn't give him like a red and white one. So, but he, you, you know, you sort of look at it and you look at this game, you look at Nantes, so Palois, and you look at these teams where he struggled. And every team that he struggled against have been the team with with these experienced Liga warriors that have got 300 games under their belt. I'm not saying they're amazing defenders, Shedru, Palois. We, we we should be bossing those guys around at their age. But he's, he struggles against those big physical centre-backs who read the game a bit better than he does in Liga. And he, he just, they always seem to have, you know, they, they seem to be a step ahead of him. Um, he did sustain a head injury, so you're, you're a medical professional maybe a little bit of concussion maybe he was a bit shaken who knows but he looked out of sorts mm. he didn't look like he was in the right frame of, of mind he looked a bit he looked confused at times he, he just wasn't his usual self and we've seen him have bad games but that looked like a, it just looked like something was wrong with him yeah I mean I mean it's it, it's hard to say like if his head injury had any anything to do with it but he he didn't Obviously, the, the the docs wouldn't have let him back if he had a concussion on. He seemed to be he didn't bleed at like like any significant amount, and he he seemed to be fine in terms of like balance wise. For me, it's, it, I don't know if I don't think that the head injury had any kind of uh, significant factor. The most things it was for me, he was again unable to put himself in a position and put himself away from the other defenders to, to provide good options apart from the one time which was when Payet made that run yeah but it's I think when when we compare to the, the game against Nîmes and even though Sanson was playing a bit closer to him it wasn't probably as close as it was in the game against Nîmes because if you we we were away at home, from home against Nîmes and and they because it's a derby and because they probably they were on form as well they'd won four of their, their previous five games they probably thought let's take the game to Marseille same as we did last season and they'll shit themselves and we'll, we'll get an early goal which they did actually but we bounced back but Amiens sat back and and all the teams that have done that Toulouse Amiens Benedetto's just I, well I can't remember if he played against Toulouse actually but he just he just gets. He gets lost in the noise, doesn't he? He gets caught between the defensive midfielder and the two centre-backs with very little support. And he's he's that type of striker. We know that now. But if you don't create for him and, and give him a tap-in or give him a cross where he can head it in or something, very rarely is he going to drop off, pick it up, run at, run, at, run at defenders and take a shot from 30 yards and score a screamer. But the thing is, yes. I mean, not the screamer part, but he is the kind of profile to drop back and then... He does, but then that's support the builder. And and the problem is against Damien because we created so little. There was I don't think there was a single cross. I can't remember who's crossing the ball once from one of the wide positions. I know, but we're not talking about Costas Mitroglu. We're talking about. <laughs> I mean, no, we're not talking about like. And I love Costa. Honestly, I'm I'm a fan of Mitroglu. But when you're talking about a striker that's big, heavy, that that's a more of a pivot striker, he, his profile is to drop back and contribute to the build up. He's just not doing that. Well, he he didn't. I think he had enough game. That's that's what we're saying since I both mean, of us. I think in in a different way about it. But he he got lost in the noise. He got he got swallowed up by Amiens' deep block, 
which meant that he couldn't drop off. He couldn't take a nifty little touch like he usually does sometimes and, and play a pass through to someone. So he, he just had a poor game because fair play to Amiens, the defensive game plan wasn't that bad for, for 60 minutes until until we, we, we sort of ran at them and created three or four chances. But before that, they had him in their pocket. And I think it really is this experience thing where Ligue 1 defenders and, and systems, he, he does sometimes get swallowed up and I think he will learn for next season, but it, it really costs, it costs us in these games. Yeah, I agree. I think this is the, probably the last last time we're going to talk about the Amian game and move on to the next topic, which is going to be talking about the, the, the games ahead and seeing how we're going to be able to fare in, in our future games. And that's going to link in with another big topic, um, which is, and obviously, if you thought that this podcast was going to be a, a coronavirus-free um, podcast, then you're obviously mistaken, um, <laughs> because um, today... Um, the Minister of Sport uh, in France has decreed that every single Ligue 1 game uh, until the 15th of April, which is next month, uh, are going to be held against closed, like played behind closed doors, um, or a maximum of 1,000 supporters, which is obviously nothing if you think about the Velodrome being 65,000. So this month-long period and it does by the way it doesn't look it doesn't seem at least that they're going to cancel the games or postpone the games they are going the games are going to play just behind closed doors so in that month period Marseille are going to play Montpellier away um, PSG at home and that's going to be interesting to find out whether that game in particular is going to be postponed because of the occasion um, Brest against Marseille and then Marseille against Dijon and I don't know. I'm not an expert in, in in epidemiology, but I don't know. I don't know what made them make that month-long, um, basically measure because I don't see what's going to happen in a month to stop the spread. So, in my prediction, it's probably going to be extended to future games, which is Lyon against Marseille and Marseille against Nice. So that's at least four games behind closed doors, two of them away um, against big teams. Does that change? anything as to what your prediction was going to be because we expected these to be difficult games anyway is this a good time to drop in that we've got Marseille View sponsored face masks and, and hand sanitizer oh, of course of course we've <laughs> ordered them on Amazon and we've got them oh, got them autographed and everything <laughs> that was a joke guys we're, we're not cop outs we don't we're not in this for the cash um, um, I don't know I don't know I don't know <laughs> um, uh, yes and no no, I, I say no because it's not just us; it's every team. If we, if it was a case where, for example, we'd have gotten a ban for bad fan behaviour and it was going to affect only us, then yes, it's a massive problem. It's going to be every team. It won't be such a bad influence on Lyon and Monaco because their stadium's barely full anyway. Let's face <laughs> it. Shout out to Mo who tweets this weekly, so he's weekly, probably it's going to be a daily occurrence now. Yeah, he boys, he loves up in Monaco, and we all do, but. So it's not going to affect those teams so much, but it's going to affect us and our rivals, who, who yes, don't probably have the same fixture lineup as we do. I'd be very surprised that if the PSG game isn't postponed, just because of Canal Plus putting pressure on on yeah, on, on so the too. league, you'd expect that game to be postponed or to at least be a, probably thirty thousand or. or or an exception to be made I don't know we'll find out but I'd be very surprised if that goes ahead in these conditions which is a problem because psychologically other teams might come back three points closer than what they would yeah and, and to be fair fans or no fans my honest opinion is is I'm not expecting anything from that game anyway to be honest I'd, I'd take a draw from that game in fact I'd take a draw from the next two games before this was announced let alone now it's been announced um, having said that the team have surprised us this season away from home in, in big games where we think that we're going to struggle because of who we're pay, playing and, and past history against those teams. So we've struggled against Montpellier in recent years. Maybe this is the year where we go there and nick a tuna win Angers style. I, like, we can only hope, but who knows? Um, it, it's going to have an impact, but it's going to impact everybody. Um, I think what's going to have a bigger impact is, is AVB being suspended. But then again, is it going to be that much of an impact? Because with an empty stadium, he'll probably be able to relay his instructions to the team from the front of the stands. And he's not he's not going to get more than two games. So so it's not like he's going to extend to 
well, the period yeah, where he's, he, it's, the fans are going to be back, is it? Well, normally, look, when it's a player, double yellow card is only one game, isn't it? Um, it all depends, and, and we'll, we'll touch on this at the end, I guess, but we know Letizia loves... Well, but let, let's tie it into this topic. Letizia loves to fucking rinse us. He does us every game, and we're not the only team, to be fair. He's... he's yeah, the bucking, Monaco the like bucking, that as well. Yeah, he's the bucking man in Liga. He loves to put his cards out. And that whole sequence at the end of the game is completely surrealist where, yes, AVB, you can tell he's a bit nervous, he's a bit aggressive, but he's not actually in his face or anything. But he is he is sort of mouthing off at him. And instead of, of him taking him to sides, which you'd expect Premier League referees to do, actually, they'd take Mourinho to side, for example, and be like, look, calm it the fuck down, here's a yellow card. We'll talk about this later. Or, or at least have a dialogue. I've seen this happen in Italy where they do have a dialogue. But in, in Liga. They just love to display that authority and be the star, Mike Riley style, and get the get the cards out. Not even respond to what's being questioned. No dialogue. No no sort of educational dialogue of why they've made such and such decision. Even though, if you look back on the game and the decisions, does AVB have a point? Maybe not. But you can understand that from his point of view, not having seen the highlights extensively, he's a bit you know he gets a bit carried away. It is going to hinder us, but not that much in these conditions now that the stadiums are empty, I don't believe. And I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago. You know, Ricardo Carvalho, could he be our next number one if AVB should walk for any reason at the end of the season? No, I I wouldn't like him to be, but we're going to find out. This is the perfect occasion to find out if he is capable of stepping up to the plate, of being the main man on the bench who gives out the instructions and, and relays them on the pitch to the players. So... I, I don't know. What are your thoughts? Because it's it's a very difficult situation to judge because we're not going to be the only ones affected. Well, I understand that everyone's in the same boat, um, but I think there's two two main things that are going to be different. The first thing is that is that um, we're playing two games away, two games at home, and and Leo is also playing two games away, two games at home. And if you if we go from the principle that playing in a in a support supporter less stadium. It's better for you if you're playing an away game. Ren are playing three away games in a four, in next four games, so you people can make the argument that Ren is advantaged by that situation because whereas we're playing two games away, two games at home, they're playing three games away, and therefore they're playing like three neutral games that would be away instead of just two. And the second thing, and, and that's more relevant for Marseille, is that we know wherever we go. Apart from when it's PSG, or apart from when fans are banned from going to the stadium, um, Marseille have supporters everywhere. If Marseille scores a goal in Bordeaux, you get fans cheering for Marseille. So players know that, and even though it's an away game, it kind of has some feeling of a home game for the Marseille players because you have so many blue shirts in the stands. So I think we are going to be very affected, and the players are going to be very affected by by the the lack of atmosphere and we, we've but on the good side is that because we're Marseille and we're so used to bands we're used to that we played Bordeaux at home in a, in a in an empty stadium we played a whole Europa League last time we played Europa League um, in empty stadiums so we're used to it so maybe that's a, a, an alleviating factor for us but I'm not expecting much from the Montpellier game and the PSG game anyway but for the Brest game and the Dijon game I think these are just weird games and weird atmosphere that it will impact us. Games that we should easily win are suddenly going to become very weird and, and awkward to play in. Right, so, look, if, on our current form, is there any game we should be easily winning? On paper, yes, but on current form, every game is a bit difficult. So I think if you if you remember back a few weeks when we, we looked at this run of games and we said how many points we're going to get against Montpellier and PSG, I think I said I'd be happy with two if I'm optimistic for... No, um, it'll be one. We'll get one point. Yeah, yeah, but that's... that's that, I don't think that is hugely impacted by the decision of this game just because of the form we're in at the minute. Unless they postpone the PSG game for a month or something to make sure that it's a full stadium. You'd imagine Canal Plus will, will really want that. It, it It's going to be a hindrance, but it's going to be a hindrance for everybody. And at the end of the day, they're professionals. Just fucking get on with it. You're out there to do a job. It's fans or no fans. You know, Juventus played Inter in an empty stadium last night. They got all three points. They won 2-0. 
so it should not be an excuse for a big team like us just to be oh there's no fans it's a really bizarre atmosphere right okay well we'll, we'll, we'll track the situation and obviously you guys will be updated from from news outlets but it for me anyway I, I know it's only for a month long the band but I don't understand what would change in the next month on, on like Bob a surprising kind of stopping of, of contagion, yeah. but it's yeah. probably going to be extended I mean I, I would expect it to be extended further and maybe spend the rest of the league what, what I don't door. understand is um, what I, what the, the one thing that does trouble me is is it's the classic we know how quick we are in France to ban fans from going to games <laughs> which which plays into this perfectly because but now they, it's they easy, always, it? <laughs> yeah, it's always it's always the, the local préfet who who decides. Oh no, can't be asked hosting a thousand Marseille fans away in Nîmes this weekend. We'll, stri- we'll, we'll restrict it to a hundred. Or no, no Marseille fans in Bordeaux because we can't be bothered policing them. So I understand it for Italy's because it's, they're very affected, and a whole region where I think there's five or six Serie A teams is, is heavily affected, which is Lombardy, which is the northwest of Italy. So you've got AC Milan, Atalanta, Inter Milan, and a couple of other teams there. I can understand that. And what I don't understand is why they... Well, because clearly, and this is probably political discussion, clearly because there's, there's, there's struggles on local and regional levels, it, I would have expected it to be judged on a case-by-case basis where... If there's an outbreak in a certain region, then that region has to play behind closed doors and the others that aren't affected get to play in full stadiums. But flip it, that's very unfair because teams could argue they're being singled out when it's nothing to do with them. So, yes, it's the safe option to go for a blanket ban, but it's, again, frustrating to see that at the local level, you'd expect local government to be able to cope yeah, it's yeah, absolutely. But it, and it's not really going to play well for the marketing or the business side of it for the clubs because there's millions of, of like of euros being generated from ticket sales well, and no, marketing it, and and on the day events, businesses in, in in the cities, you know, they're just going to suffer from it. Here's, here's the final the final joke. It's the last Coupe de la Ligue probably for a few years because they're going to scrap it. And right now they're going to play it in a closed fucking stadium and it's a cup final. Yeah, and it's. Obviously, the, the the logical thing would be to postpone it, but there's so many games you can postpone because of the World Cup, of the, the not the World Cup, the Euros uh, 2020 happening. You can't really postpone games that much further. Uh, they're, they're, gonna, they're probably going to be moved. Mm. You know, if, if things carry on like they are, they're probably going to have to delay that. We'll see. We'll keep an eye on it. Well, so that, that, that's it more about the, the the upcoming games. We might We might loop back to... To talking about some of the performances from the rivals, but first I'd like to talk a little bit about another news that happened last week, which is um, UEFA um, sending out a statement, a press release, saying that two clubs will be investigated for for fair play infringement and basically not following through on on, on agreements made between the club and UEFA. One of them being Marseille. Um, again, it, it's very difficult with the financial fair play because there isn't clear-cut um, guidelines as to kind of what sanctions um, are going to be for clubs for, for different uh, um, different infringement uh, of financial fair, fair play. But we've seen, from example, it can range from a simple fine, which we've had in the past, so I guess, we, I, I guess that we're not going to get a simple fine, up to just being completely removed from European Cup, which is the worst-case scenario. The, Again, we don't have much um, much information about that. Just that the that the Marseille sent out a press release of their own, saying that um, you know they're completely against. They've always played fairly, and they're going to discuss with UEFA to try and find a, a healthy solution. But it's a bit scary because it's been looming over us for, for for a couple of years now, and now we have official proof that they are investigating us. So, what, what are your feelings on on that news last week? <sighs> It's it's one of those difficult topics, and I'm not going to accuse anybody of being an idiot who doesn't understand the rules. But brief recap: financial fair play. We've had this discussion in the group. Was basically a construct by the bigger clubs who felt threatened by the petrol petrol money and oil money of PSG and Man City. They wanted to limit the number of clubs, like Red Bull as well, the ownership structures, where they'd be able to come in, pump in loads of cash 
I think Chelsea actually set the precedent with Roman Abramovich when he came in and they just spent 150 million, which was unheard of back in 2005. So they put these rules in play that said, we will give new owners a grace period of two years, but in those two years, we expect them to build up a club, even if they're spending money on players, to then have success on the pitch, to in turn generate sponsorship deals, etc., etc. That means that their income is at least on par with their wage bill and, and their spending. So they gave Mar- they did give Marseille that grace period. What happened with Marseille? We all know what happened. Garcia and Nero fucked up last summer because they threw 30 million at Streetman on ridiculous wages. And we st- we already had the likes of Adil Hami and Everett, although he'd left by then, he was on a big wage for his age. So we- there was a bit of mismanagement, but there's also the scrutiny is what's happened is because we're in, we're in year three of the new ownership structure, we have to hit parity or get close to parity this summer to not, at the very least, have the transfer ban. Because I think that is the, the automatic sanction that they impose as a minimum sanction is you can't recruit players until we tell you you can and we've finished investigating. That can then escalate to a fine and a ban and then maybe a ban from European competitions. So I think what, what has happened, and we blame it all, we, we can blame Miro for mismanagement, but in this case, what he's done, and we all saw the press conference from AVB where he came out and said, I don't want my team to be weakened in the January transfer window. I know we've got to sell, but if we want to, we want to hit our objectives, I can't lose players. I think Miro sided with him and took a calculated risk and, and had a pair of balls and said, right, we're on pretty good track to qualify automatically for the Champions League group stages. So... For anybody who's not been following, Marseille apparently need to find 70 million euros of incoming cash by 30th of June. So Eros probably taken a gamble, said, right, we're on pretty good track. We're going to qualify directly. That's 35 million from TV rights from group stage, automatic group stage football in Champions League if we finish second, which means we only need to sell one player, which coincides with him bringing in this Aldridge character to, to market some of our players to the Premier League. Sanson probably being the most likely candidate with Leicester, United, Wolverhampton being allegedly interested in him. Everyone's you would expect <laughs> well you would, well that's what the tabloids are saying, but you would expect to get 35, 40 million for him. So he's taken that risk. But what has happened is obviously UEFA it's it's not out of the blue that they've opened this procedure. It's because he reneged on his his probably his prediction or agreement that we would sell a player in January to, to make them happy and keep the wolves away from all the sharks from circling closer to, to the blood in the water. However, UEFA, from their point of view, you also look at it because of the Euros. We know how difficult the transfer market is in a, in a season where there's, there's a, an international competition. They're probably saying, fuck, Marseille are probably going to struggle to sell one of their players for big money before the end of Euro 2020. It's not going to happen until August. <clears throat> well, maybe, or, or at least beginning of mid-July unless there's a pre-agreement already in place with someone like West Ham and we've seen that happen with other teams so you can understand UEFA precautiously you know it's like a precautionary slap on the wrist saying guys you know we'll, we'll give you the benefit of the doubt but if you if you fuck it up we'll fall on you like a ton of bricks I think that's what that's what this is about but we, I, we I, might come to the, the same argument that there was in French media when, when they were going for PSG and when we're talking about Man City, it's that we don't. What, what, what is the legality of it? And if they do exclude you, well, no, they've found, they've found arrangements, haven't they? PSG City have not been smart because they just pumped in loads of cash, and then they were late to, to realise that they had to diversify their, their sponsorship portfolio because it can't come from the same source. Um, I think only forty percent can come from the same source, and, and it's derivatives, and then the rest has to come from external. The problem with PSG is because Qatar have been very intelligent and have diversified that portfolio so much by acquiring Accor Hotel, which is a French company, last year. They, they've they played the rules perfectly. I hate to say it because it's, it is cheating and it's bending the rules, but they've got the money to buy whatever the fuck they want in the world and they've gone ahead and done that and that's how they've got around the rules. The fact is, Lyon, who, uh, their, their sponsor next, next year, remind me, their shirt sponsor, uh, I have no idea. They're it's not going to be No, no, no. I mean, they're, they're, the sponsor on their shirt is going to be a really ugly, really stupid company. But they're, getting, they're going to get paid 15-odd million for it. And Uber Eats give us 4 million a season. So you have yeah. the example there. 
that Marseille have not made enough progress from an image point of view to bring in outside investment through the form of sponsorships and, and partnerships and all of that. So it's rightly so that they're, they're looking at us and that we're on the watch list. But at the same time, it's a bit premature to jump to conclusions that we will automatically get sanctioned. I, I think it will end up being a fine. And then next year will be really the last year. But we've already had that fine. After, after the Europa League final, we already had that fine because we, we, we didn't like concur with the, the, the agreements that we made. We seem to now have a track record where we're giving our promises and we're not delivering on them. Yeah, but you look at Milan. Why Milan got sanctioned is because they went out and spent almost 100 million on players like Andre Silva and, and Hakan Kalanoglu, and half of them are, are not even there anymore. So they went out and spent a ridiculous amount of money and it didn't pay off for them because they struggled, because they had, well, in my opinion, they've had a few poor managers over the years. So Milan is, is the extent to which they're outside of, of the remit of the rules is extreme compared to us, which is probably just outside because if we need to find 35 million you you can imagine we can do that by selling a few players if we manage to negotiate some sort of extension i'm more worried about to be honest i'm more worried about the dncg which is the french financial authority body that, that does the club's accounts than i am about uefa but yeah they, they seem to be a little itself. bit more strict and restrictive on the on the sanctions that they give and the warnings they give time will tell what are your thoughts? I think it, it all looks back to, to a bit, a little bit anxious of seeing the news um, and, and kind of seeing that, well, even though loads of clubs are going through the nets of, of the financial fair play, many being PSG, but we know that Real Madrid was like supposed to be banned for transfer window and then somehow they made an agreement to not be banned. Um, and AC Milan went, went unpunished for years and years and years and years. But obviously, these people have financial backing to, to kind of pursue those those legal legal fights with UFO that I don't think Macor and Marseille at least want to have. So we we would probably accept any any sanctions that that we get, and obviously I, I'm not expecting us to to get excluded from from European football. But we could be banned from from doing any transfers, and that's a big problem because we don't, at least yet, have the academy to even make any sort of, of bridge um, for at least a year, and that would mean that we'd go back without European football for another year. So it's it. I think it's worrying. It's worrying, worrying because we've had not, these not warnings before, yet. and clearly we're still not in the ranks. So. Uh, I mean, how long are we going to be able to make empty promises before they crack down on us? <laughs> I think that the, the last thing on this is everybody who's saying McCourt, throw the money in, bridge the possible. gap, all that. Even if he did that, we'd be breaking the rules even further. That, He's got money, but it's just not possible. Those aren't the rules. That's not what UEFA wants to see. And that's not what should be happening anyway. We, we've, we survived like that for 20 years with Robert Louis Dreyfus just pumping hundreds of millions of francs into the club. And it, it, it's not sustainable. And for a club that pretends of, uh, to be of the stature of one of the top 20 in Europe, which Marseille certainly aspires to be and, and is from a reputation point of view, but not from a management point of view, we cannot have a, a non-self-sustaining system. So... I, I agree with the principle of it and I think it's for the best in the long term but it could really hurt us in the short term yeah absolutely um, and we'll probably we'll probably have another like five minutes left before we, we close up this week's episode so um, we've had a lot of pessimism just like we did um, after the ninth game and two weeks later we're back here again after a disappointing result against Amiens and we see Lil and Ren um, get all three points in games that we expected that they would drop points at, at least one of the two. Um, but they both won against Montpellier and Lyon. Um, so now Rennes six points away and Lille seven points away. There's only 10 games left. So give me give me a Ben speech on, on positivity and why Marseille will finish second. <laughs> I've, I've, I've spoken enough tonight, but there are only <laughs> servers. But I... I Look, we said this a couple of weeks ago when we were on with Mo. 
um, well, or was it last week? I, I fully expected the, the gap to be bridged. I said that we would go into the international window with maybe at best four or five points gap on, on third place. Now, will that be affected by, by the closed stadiums? Maybe, but it is certainly when you when you play a game like Friday and you're turning up and you come away with a shitty draw. It, it does hinder your optimism. And, and I remember on Friday, I think all of you guys were down and a couple of us were going round as we were saying goodbye to everybody and saying, guys, come on, Lille have got to play Lyon and Rennes have got to play Montpellier. Look, this, this could work out for us if they all draw or one of them loses and one of them draws. But the fact is, our two main rivals actually bloody won. Convincingly which, too. Yeah, which which does put, her in, put us under significantly more pressure than we would like to be under because we should really... These are the type of games you look back on, especially over the years, being a Marseille fan, and you go, fuck, if we'd have only held on to that win, oh, if we'd have scored that extra goal when we missed the penalty in the last 10 minutes or something, or if we'd have been been able to to defend and, and not lose that game. So we've, we've just been so used to, to throwing away leads and, and favourable positions over the, the last three or four years that we, we're scarred. So it's... I'm not worried yet, but I'm I'm a bit concerned. I'm looking at it going, this should have been I mean, I think when we when we beat Lille, we were we were eleven or twelve points clear and the podcast was we're in the clear, there's no way we can lose this now. And suddenly three weeks later the tables have turned and it's a very different league table. Mm. And we're now looking at it going, Fuck, this is getting a bit stressful because We've still got to go. We've still got to go play PSG and Lyon. Well, PSG and Monaco at home, and go away to Lyon. So, yeah, it's, it's worrying. It's worrying. It's going to be a scrap, and we would have all liked to avoid it, but it's going to turn into a scrap. Yeah, and I think it probably against my better judgment, I still don't think the Ren's going to hold up right until the end of the season. I, I, I think if history is any indication, Ren always. Um, falter off uh, towards the end of the season in the last 10 games so I honestly think our main com- competition is still Lille so it's 7 points away and 7 points in 10 games is a lot of points I know we think just you know you lose 2 games and that's it but if we get 15 points in the next 10 games which is which is way less than, than what we've been getting throughout this whole season you know we'll be fine we'll, you know so You'd hope so. Well, we still have a, a very significant cushion, which has kind of melted by a half in the last three weeks. But it's you know poor, poor performances happen, and this is this is great because we've had this this, this eleven point cushion to start having those because those mishaps. And Lil and Ren, they're not going to win all of their ten games. This is just not going to happen. So. I mean, you look at, um, I think, Saturday morning, one of the first tweets I saw was the league table since the start of 2020. With PSG top, we're only a point behind them on yeah, the number of points won. Um, Rennes are actually 11, well, probably up to 8th after yesterday's thumping win. But, but so Rennes, yeah, Rennes have, have completely petered away since we won away there just after Christmas. So, yes, I agree with you that they're maybe not the threat. Lille are probably the bigger threat. Lyon are, are out of the and picture for me. They're, they're 10 points, way behind 10 points. It would take a collapse by us, Lille and Rennes for them to even have a sniff of it. But still, for that reason, I'd still expect them to give us a difficult game when we go away there because that's probably all they'll have left to play for because mm. they'll be out. They will have probably lost the League Cup final by then. And they'll probably be out of the Champions League, touch woods. So... It's not as easy a, a ride as we probably would have all hoped it to be, but it's not quite the end of the world yet. Yeah, I think, yeah. I mean, I was probably one of the people who was just six feet under <laughs> after the, the... Well, you will be. I mean, you, know, you can see the fucking 95th minute equaliser. You're yeah. going to be devastated. Yeah, but I, I think it's, it's important for us to, to, to just come out and go into the, the Montpellier game, you know, like again, we know it's the Marseille away, but we win this game, and then again we go back to thinking that it's all secured. So we still have two two games to burn in ten games. That's a very good cushion. I think I, th- I think right now we're on track, and I don't I don't see any reasons why we should like be scared. 
so far. Yeah, uh, we'll, 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 we'll count. I think we, we say it in French, on fera les comptes à la fin. We'll all do the, the maths at the end of the season and we'll all look back probably on, on games like Friday and think, fuck, that's where we threw the weight. Yeah. If we were to collapse of monumental proportions, those are the games we will all look back on and go, for fuck's sake. But How did we, we let this happen? If we go through it, we'll, we'll look back at the games against Lille and Rennes where we pulled out a win. So, you know... It, it works both ways. It, yeah. it always works both ways. But, yeah, we, so I'm sorry. I've just seen us collapse too many times. <laughs> I mean, the scars are there. You know, the memories. Yeah. It's just the, the disappointment of, of holding on and being on the edge of your seat for so long. And it's, we've been in that opposite position this season where we've been actually sat back quite comfortably in our seats for so long thinking, fuck it up, we've wrapped this up, we've done enough now, we've beaten all our rivals home and away, most of them anyway, you know, nothing can hurt us, we're untouchable and then we, we put out games like we did on Friday or, we, or at home against Nantes two weeks ago, so let's see. Yeah, all right. Well, thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Ben, for coming on the podcast. Um, we hope that being only two of us didn't make the podcast uh, too too boring. But regardless, we will uh, see you after the Montpellier game on Saturday. So we'll probably do the recording on Sunday and then put the game, the recording, and the podcast out to YouTube and SoundCloud on as usual on Monday at 9 p.m. So thank you very much for listening, and we will see you next Monday. Thanks everyone. Alléluia. Let's hope we keep we keep the faith. Yeah. Cheers guys. Cheers, Bye. cheers.